This episode is from a series of classes where Shakti Durga is reading from her book, Spiritual Mastery. In the class, she makes reference to the Tao, Chinese philosophy, meaning way or path. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. So we're now going to start with the the third hallmark of spiritual self-mastery. The third hallmark is humility. Humility is the capstone and the cornerstone of the fundamentals of spiritual mastery. Without this, there isn't really any mastery. Humility means being able to be humble, modest, and unassuming. This does not mean hiding from the world or hiding your brilliance in any way, but it does mean that we integrate and support simplicity and grace in our thoughts, speech, and action, and that we avoid things like boastfulness. We've all met people who may display a lot of attributes of spiritual mastery, but they haven't mastered humility. If you meet any of the truly enlightened beings, they're very ordinary. They're very friendly and helpful and unassuming. They usually have good humor and they don't take themselves too seriously. Let's try and emulate them because this foundation in humility really is a cornerstone of a really uplifting type of spiritual presence and life. So at times on our development, the spiritual path gets very narrow and we might not even recognize those times sometimes, but let's have a look at how humility plays into this. Humility is achieved when we walk the tightrope between arrogance on one side and poor self-esteem, not believing in ourselves on the other side. You can't have humility when you have poor self-esteem and you don't believe in yourself because subconsciously you're always going to be trying to prove yourself, to convince other people that you're good enough and even to convince yourself. When we attain humility, there's no need for that and there's also no need for arrogance, which is really just another way that poor self-esteem shows itself in the world. So let's just imagine that we're in the mountains and that to get from one mountain peak to another, you have to walk across a long, narrow pathway. As you start to walk along this snow-covered pathway, you notice steep drops on either side and that falling down either side would be quite dangerous and it would mean that you'd have to make a very long journey to get back as far as you've already travelled. If you fall down one side of the narrow path, you fall into arrogance. If you fall down the other side, you fall into poor self-esteem. The only way from one peak to another is across the narrow path called the path of humility, which you have to tread very carefully. You watch each step and be sure to include humility in everything that you do to make sure that you get to the other side. It's good from time to time to focus on humility to ensure that it's not omitted as we busily race towards self-mastery. 
Let's have a look at the trail, the self-mastery trail. There are four identifiable standpoints that are taken in our relationship with others and each tells us what's going on with our potential for humility. Without healthy self-esteem, it's not possible to have true humility. And the four standpoints for relating to others which are discussed here are based on transactional analysis, which was a popular form of psychology developed in the 1950s and the 1960s in America. The first attitudinal position that can be adopted and the one that has the least self-esteem is there's something wrong with me and there's something wrong with you. In this stage, we have poor self-esteem. At that stage, we'll also probably have a lot of self-criticism. The voice in the head will be at us all the time, telling us about all the things we do wrong. And there can even be self-loathing. Our view of others tends to be no better. We have no expectation that anyone will be any nicer or more competent or wiser than we are. We don't feel like we can trust people. With this worldview, it's possible to be frightened, meek, which is sometimes confused with humble, timid, depressed, or we can get quite aggressive and demanding as a defense mechanism. From this standpoint, humility is not possible because we can't see our own light at all. At this stage, we can't stand talented people and we view them with derision and ridicule. This is the birthplace of what in Australia is called the tall poppy syndrome. And this means that, you know, all the poppies are growing to this level, all the flowers, they're growing to this level, but one flower grows much taller than all the other flowers. It's the tall poppy. And then the people with poor self-esteem all want to chop that poppy down. No, you can't be a taller poppy than the rest of us. So it's called tall poppy syndrome. The person who has no self-esteem wants to cut the achiever down to size. The person with good self-esteem, by comparison, always wants to encourage others to achieve their best and is never threatened or frightened by someone else's growing skill and ability. Rather than feeling challenged by it, the master rejoices in the skill of others, viewing extremely talented students with pride and love. The second stage in building humility based on healthy self-esteem is, there's something wrong with me, but you're fabulous. In this stage, we're projecting our inner beauty onto someone else and we're not looking at all at our own positive attributes. We might feel browbeaten, scared, or simply in awe of another person. And from this vantage point, equality seems an impossibility because we can never be as good as that other person. This is often the way a beginner student might feel when studying with a spiritual master because spiritual masters are very luminous and their energy field is strong and we can feel a little overcome by it. But don't assume that the master has the same delusions that we do. The master knows that every student is already deeply full of light already and may be a great man or woman someday when they live into their potential. And thus there's respect combined with an accurate perception of the degree of embodied skill at the present time. And the master will help the student to realize their highest potential by holding a vision of that potential for them until the student's able to perceive their own potential for themselves. I remember a number of different people who've um, been in my organization over the years, 
and I've been able to see their beauty and see their light and they haven't been able to. And in the end, I've said to them, well, um, I can see your beauty. I can see your strength. I can see the truth of you. So who do you want to believe? (laughs) You or me at the moment, which one's going to help you the most? And this is one of the gifts of having someone who is a mentor spiritually is that they can believe in us when we can't believe in ourselves and they help us lift into a place where we can actually progress and see our own light with humility. It helps to remember that whatever we can see in others is actually a reflection of what's already within us. A fool who beholds a saint will only see foolishness whereas the saint will see the light and the holiness in everyone, even in a fool. Notice the things that you admire in others and start to be on the lookout for and notice when you display the characteristics that you so admire in others. This means give yourself permission to shine. The third stage in the development of healthy self-esteem and humility is I'm perfect and you are the problem. Here, we've climbed out of the abyss of self-condemnation and we can speak kindly to ourselves. We've started to believe in ourselves. We've learnt to appreciate our strengths and start to build on them. But at this stage, the work is not complete because we have a fragile ego that depends upon our own superiority in order to feel safe and good enough, and there's a lot of competitiveness. At this stage, we're keen to observe and point out the faults of others so that attention really never falls on our own faults or failings. This can be a dangerous stage in our development because a little bit of knowledge is not always enough. When students start to become skilled, and particularly when they start to develop potency and abilities that are possible along the path, there's a yawning chasm of arrogance right in the middle of the path that we have to be careful about. Any virtue or power that's given by the universe to you and can be taken away again. So if the universe comes through you in such a way to allow you to help other people, um, if you get arrogant about it, it can just as easily be taken away again. These kinds of gifts that come with spiritual awakening are treasures that are only entrusted to the humble because they're the only ones who can be relied on not to misuse misuse them in the pursuit of their own ego's advancement. So any progress you make when you haven't mastered humility is going to be short-lived, and that's why this one's so important. At this third stage of development of healthy self-esteem, whatever problems we have are often assumed to belong to the other person and not to us. We actually project our shadow qualities upon others, and we lose the ability to deal with things ourselves. We become victims of the faults of other people, and we really are dividing things up between light and dark. The light's in me, the dark's in you. And this is not mastery. And generally, it creates arrogance, animosity, and we probably are not going to be very skillful in our relationships with other people if this is our underlying energy. People around us may behave badly because we arrogantly or ignorantly assume that they'll never make the grade and we're not yet capable of holding the vision of the beauty of another person 
And so we kind of cement them with our judgment into being less than perfect. We know that we're still working on arrogance if arrogant people bother us. The master couldn't care less if people are arrogant or not, but understands that it's just the soul in the process of growing. However, if someone is looking to that person for spiritual development, then it's a kindness of the spiritual teacher to let us know that possibly we might want to look at humility and the cultivation of humility. That's such a kindness because often we can't see these things ourselves. If upon reflection it's clear that we're arrogant sometimes, then it's good to discover whether there are any particular triggers for arrogance. I once knew a woman who was very humble most of the time, but when she felt socially inferior, that was her trigger, and she'd become arrogant and then she'd start bragging. As she raised her self-esteem, she became less threatened in social environments, and so she was able to resist the temptation to brag and instead retained humility in an ever-widening sphere of social activities. In this way, she became much more socially successful, popular and comfortable. At this stage of development, we assume that we're better than those around us. We consider ourselves to be more worthy, when in actual fact, everyone is equally worthy because everyone at the core of their being has the same oneness, the same light within the highest part of our consciousness. And then we move to the fourth stage in the development of self-esteem, which is I'm good enough and you're good enough. As far as I'm aware, this is the only position from which true humility can actually arise. When this position is reached, we feel good about ourselves and good about other people too. We see the good and the potential in ourselves and others. We're happy and content. Generally, we're able to inspire others to give their best. We affirm others because we don't need to be constantly affirming ourselves because self is already stable. We've achieved sufficient self-love and self-respect to draw the best kinds of behaviour and attitudes from others in a consistent way. This is very good self-esteem and gives rise to the potential for deep humility. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We are both children of the universe. This is the true level of self-esteem that is characteristic of someone who's attained self-mastery. When working on humility, it helps to remember that arrogance and poor self-esteem are flip sides of the same coin. Either of these conditions negates humility. The humble person is aware of their own potential for higher consciousness and their own connectedness to the Tao. They know that they're good enough and that others are actually also connected to the Tao even if they can't remember right now. In various situations in life, we might find that we slip from the third position, I'm okay, you're hopeless, back to the first one, I'm no good and you're no good, or into the second one or the fourth one, we can move around a bit. The idea is to be aware of the dynamic and go, oh, interesting, let's just really have a look at this and see what I need to do to get back into humility again. Once upon a time, I did a seminar called Free to Be Me, which was designed by my then teachers, Barbara and Terry Tebow, in New South Wales, Australia. And they had a self-evaluation technique 
where we were not only able to find what's my conscious level in these four different areas, but it also put us through a psychological profiling which illuminated our unconscious position. And really, we know that our unconscious is often driving us. So we might consciously think, oh, yeah, I've got good self-esteem. But actually, when we look at our relationships in the world, we look at these things of poor self-esteem or arrogance, we start to notice these things. Sometimes we can go, oh, well, maybe I'm not actually as subconsciously developed in these areas as I thought. Well, that's exciting to have that discovery because then there's something we can do about it. And what we found with this test, this psychological profiling that was done in that program, Free to Be Me, was that someone might think, yeah, I've got good self-esteem, but actually the unconscious position was at odds with that and might have only been in the first position or the second position. And being able to sort that out gave rise to huge changes in the lives of everybody who did the program because we could transform ourselves and our experiences into a really high octave as often as possible through the many tools that are available to us. Try and aim for the position statement internally, I'm good enough and so are you. This doesn't mean we don't have faults or that other people don't have faults, but we're talking about the intrinsic worth of a person, the intrinsic essence, because at that intrinsic deep level, we're actually all one. And we all do deserve respect. We all deserve love and we all deserve to know that we're enough. Which class am I in in universal school? We talked a little about this in our introduction to this series. And I'd also like to say the universe does not tap us on the shoulder and say, hi, would you like to study humility today? Be on the lookout for that, will you? Unfortunately, the universe is much more subtle than that. But here are some clues. You will be working on humility when you succeed at something in which many people like you have failed or if you've just achieved something to a higher level than anyone else because we can go into arrogance and feel superior. Similarly, if you throw your weight around because you have the worldly position or wealth to get away with it, you're probably being arrogant. Boing. You fall off the narrow spiritual path on the top of that mountain into the spiritual abyss. If you're demanding and condescending, particularly if you have a position of worldly or spiritual power, you're falling headlong off the path, no matter how much you know or how many people you might be influencing. When you attend a function where you're one of the most senior, most wealthy, most powerful, most beautiful, most spiritually advanced, most socially acceptable, or most famous, beware. Arrogance in that setting is just a hair's breadth away. Can you contain it and transmute it into internal happiness and humility? People will appreciate you a whole lot more if you can. The mark of the truly great person is to be friendly and humble in all circumstances and with everybody because the self-mastered person recognizes the inner light with everybody. If you go to a place where you feel out of your depth, where you're new 
like in a club or spiritual group, or where there's lots of powerful or famous people, do you retreat into a corner and feel inadequate? If so, possibly you're studying self-esteem and humility. The universe wants you to find your inner core of beauty and your good enoughness. You're also working on humility when circumstances occur that used to make you fall into abject self-condemnation or self-pity. And this often happens when we muck something up or we try to do something but we fail at it and we start the negative self-talk. At that stage, we're falling off the path of humility and going into the abyss of self-loathing and it actually doesn't help us. The thing to do is to separate your actions or your outer world evidence about yourself from yourself. <laughs> Remind yourself that whatever happens, you're a human being with a, with a soul, with a core of light that's yearning for reunification with the cosmic consciousness. You're learning just like a toddler who wants to learn to walk. If the toddler went into self-criticism and self-loathing every time they fell over during the process of learning to walk, the chances are that they'd end up crawling for their whole lives. Like the toddler, we need to pull ourselves up and decide that the problem's not me in the sense of the core of myself, which is intrinsically okay. The problem is, oh, I need more skills. Right, I'm going to get some more skills. I am not my actions. I am not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I'm not my fears, my phobias, or my inflated self-opinions. The decision to be constructive with ourselves instead of destructive, to parent the vulnerable part of self that needs nurturing, sometimes called the inner child, with gentle support instead of harsh criticism. And to do something different from the way we've done it before puts us back on the path again. Pat yourself on the back for having tried something, even if it didn't work out, and be kind to yourself. When we can truly understand that all we can do is our best, we're moving into humility. And with practice, our best gets better. Our success will be undermined and our failure will be doubled if we can't appreciate that our efforts count and our overall worth and our innate good enoughness is always there. Whether we stumble and fall or succeed in triumph, our decisions about how we handle it hold more spiritual importance than the worldly outcome. How we handle our successes or failures will either take us further into self-mastery and humility or further away into the wilderness of arrogance and or self-loathing. Let's think for a moment about the concept of equality and how that plays into us as spiritual beings. From the point of higher consciousness, every person is equal to every other person because we all contain the same light consciousness within us. From the point of view of our individual consciousness, our personality, we're all at a different stage of development. From the point of view of our mind, we're all different. There are no two people having the same thought patterns, beliefs or experiences. From the etheric or energetic point of view, 
We all have the same basic etheric hardware, but it can be in different states of repair. Someone who's been very ill is likely to have a weak energy field with small depleted chakras. Someone who's done a lot of purification and spiritual development is likely to have larger than average chakras, giving rise to the potential for greater spiritual satisfaction and an ease of going into the limitless light. In the physical dimension, the differences between people are very obvious. Despite this, the master treats everyone with the same basic respect and friendliness. They avoid favoritism, unfairness and partisanship. Every person has their own unique skills, strengths and weaknesses. Humility does not require us to negate our own skills. What it does is encourage us in the belief that we're equal with everybody else on the inside, despite our skills, social or financial status and so on. If comparison with another person's level of skill is determinative of oneself, there's always going to be big fluctuations. We'll always be able to find people who are more skilled or less skilled. All of that is going to be comparison, comparison. But when we develop healthy self-esteem, which births humility, we recognize that it's our inherent humanness flowing from a, a same divine core within us, a core of light that makes us equal. The spiritual master is not afraid to be who they are. They won't wear masks or assume false identities to please people or fit in. Their genuineness and authenticity is refreshing, illuminating and reflects an inner contentment. So these are things we can strive for. Humour. The universe is a hilarious place and spiritually masterful people appreciate and emulate this. The master is able to laugh at himself or herself and not take themselves too seriously. The many spiritual masters that I've had the pleasure of meeting have all had a rich sense of humour and their laughter is from the heart and full of warmth. They do not use humour maliciously, never to put anybody else down, but they're entertaining and delightful with their wit. The other thing I've noticed is with this hallmark of humility that everyone has a different worldly speciality in their mastery, their mission, their purpose, but we all have in common an essence and vibration of love and a spirit of inquiry. Every master I've ever met is always keen to learn because growth is endless. The less developed or arrogant person is likely to think that they have all the answers and that they've learned everything there is. There's a lovely story of a Buddhist monk that you may be familiar with who was visited by a distinguished academic. The professor was shown into the monk's office and invited to have a cup of tea. When the master poured the tea, he failed to stop pouring, causing tea to spill out onto the saucer and the serving tray and all over the desk. The academic asked him, what are you doing? And the master said, you're like this cup. If you're already full, there's nothing I can add. In order to learn, we have to become empty. Awareness and the potential fields of inquiry and knowledge are endless. And the self-mastered person never stops learning, growing and developing. And if you're looking for the advanced class, um, for some people development can bring the temptation of arrogance. When skills and powers start to blossom, it's important to remember that these of themselves are not mastery. They just are. 
the attitude with which our skills and abilities are managed is more of a test of mastery than the seemingly miraculous events that sometimes can take place within the field of genuine self-aware masters. Let's have a look at how we can cultivate humility. So let's firstly be aware of the aspiration. What are we actually aspiring to? Well, humility itself. Knowing ourselves to be as worthy as the next person is the second part. Thirdly, a frank appraisal of our skills or lack of skill, but without self-denigration or aggrandizement. Fourthly, willingness to keep being a student, to keep learning from the universe. Point five, being authentic and genuine. Point six is contentment about yourself and contentment about you in relation to other people. And number seven is fairness. Let's just think about the pitfalls of trying to develop humility. And the first one is arrogance. Secondly, poor self-esteem. I think we've covered those earlier. Comparison is number three. When we're always comparing ourselves to someone else's skill level, and that's the only way we can feel good about ourselves, or we judge ourselves, well, that's wrong use of comparison. Number four, social, political, or economic standing, determining our regard for ourselves or others. Number five, pretending, pretending to be something we're not. Number six, (laughs) thinking we're God as opposed to beings who are realizing universal consciousness. And number seven, unfairness, rivalry, partisanship, and favoritism. So sometimes the practices for this is simply awareness, being aware of what's your consciousness doing. Another practice is to look out for your reaction to people who are being arrogant. Are they pressing your buttons? If so, then there's work to be done here and to be able to accept our own arrogance is often a way to stop resenting it in other people. If we are finding arrogance within ourselves, identifying what the triggers are and then taking special care in those circumstances to not let yourself get carried away. You can also use meditations that release the effects of these things as we'll be doing in some of our other programs, and cultivating love and respect for people, whoever they are, and in whatever phase and stage of success or failure or their stage of life. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. Daddy.